This is a Suno India production and you're listening to the Suno India show. Alexandra Elbakian is the founder of SciHub. The Kazakhstani computer programmer told me over email why she created SciHub. I asked my colleague to read it out. In 2009, I was a student at the university when I discovered the paywall problem. I was working on a brain computer interface project and wanted to read some journal papers on that topic but could not access them because they were paywalled. I thought then it would be good to create some program that could help download such papers for free. 2 years later, I became a member of an online molecular biology forum. There I found many people who had the same problem. They were asking if someone could help them to access journals. There were many requests posted on the forum every day where people asked for help. I was working as a freelance web programmer then and I got an idea how I could create a website to access such paywalled articles for free. That's how SciHub got started. SciHub is a shadow library website that provides free access to millions of academic articles and journals. Initially it was intended to help people and to make journal access faster and more convenient than asking other forum members or authors to send the article by email there was no global intention to make all of science free in 2012 library genesis project started to collect research papers including those downloaded by sci-hub in their library they managed to get about 10 million papers There were a total of about 60 million papers indexed in the Crossref database at that moment. So I had a dream, what if SciHub can download the remaining 50 million papers? Then we'll have the full collection all science papers available for free. Then it looked as an impossible enterprise, but see just 9 years later, there are even more 88 million papers available in SciHub. That is almost the full collection. Alexandra is a divisive figure. Some call her the Edward Snowden of science. On one hand, there are scientists naming new species after her and saying she deserves the Nobel Prize. On the other hand, the publishers of the journals she has made available for free have been suing her across the globe. The ongoing case in Delhi is against both SciHub and Library Genesis or Libgen. This is 22nd December when I was uh, just going through the Twitter uh, I saw a tweet by SciHub at that time SciHub had its own account so I saw a tweet it said means uh, Elsevier and uh, three other publisher has filed an application in Delhi High Court a copyright infringe, uh, infringement application in the Delhi High Court and the matter is listed for hearing on 24th of December 2020 So that's when I got to know about uh, that there has been I mean sir uh, there was there's a case filed in a Delhi High Court against Saihab. This is Nilesh Jain an advocate and a legal consultant. Although not specializing in copyright law, Nilesh felt so passionately about the case that he showed up in court to defend Alexandra and quickly put a defense team together. I used to follow SciHub because I I used to do a lot of research uh, for my projects and uh, my masters and all. So I used SciHub quite a lot as well as Library Genesis. 
So I was quite fond of the, what uh, Alexander Albuquerque was doing and the what Sci-Hub I mean, as a as as a project or as a whatever you call it uh, is up means up to. So that's when I decided to contact uh, Sci-Hub uh, or Alexander Albuquerque, you say, and I asked uh, on a Twitter only that. Uh, do you have any lawyer or something and i didn't get any response so that's basically it and then uh when i did not get any response i did some research and i got her contract uh, contact number and that's how i contacted her basically hi i am surya tapa mukherjee reporting for this episode of the suno india show Today we will look at the Delhi High Court case against Alexandra Elbakian and explore the world of academic publishing. Whose work goes into these research journals? Who can access it? Who pays and who profits? To understand how research articles are published today, we must first understand how this all began. Probir Purkaista is a science activist and an editor of NewsClick. now we must understand one thing this was a very sleepy very low you know market scenario say 50 years back most of these journals used to be published by the society bodies themselves society of chemical engineers society of mechanical engineers etc etc indian science bodies they used to publish the journals themselves these become commercialized and taken over by certain large publishers and some of them were not large to start with became large as a part of this one of them is robert maxwell who was basically a classical robber baron and uh, he stole money finally uh, 400 million dollars uh, from the uh, workers accounts with of the companies that worked with who were working with him uh, he's a british business person was a british business person and it is his empire which has also been taken Uh, over by Elsevier, who bought it from him before he died. So, how did mostly self-published, cheaply available research become privatized and expensive? Well, one step at a time. Dr. Rohan Francis, who runs the YouTube channel Men's Life Crisis, explained it in a video. He quotes scientists who sold their work to Robert Maxwell. Essentially Maxwell wowed scientists with flash hotels, glamorous parties and cold hard cash. Then signed them up to exclusive deals with his journals. We would get dinner and fine wine and at the end he would present us with a check, a few thousand pounds for the society. It was more money than us poor scientists had ever seen. Alexandra explains how such companies gradually hiked their prices. Scientific investigations are mostly funded by taxes in all countries of the world. Scientists write their results in research articles that they must publish in academic journals. Previously, most academic journals were non-profit, but in the second half of the 20th century, private companies such as Elsevier or Wiley entered the field. They were buying academic journals and creating their own. and when they became in control of large chunk of academic journals they started to increase the prices rapidly that became known as serials crisis at the end of the 20th century and as a result most academic journals are now inaccessible because of the high prices so people cannot read them 
Serious Crisis describes the constant increase in subscription prices of academic journals, rising at a much faster rate than the consumer price index for several decades now. Researchers like Rohin cannot even access their own articles now without paying. I decided to search for one of my own publications, but I can't actually see it without paying. The per article price is pretty standard, £30 or $40. If you're writing a paper, you might reference 50 studies, which would be a huge expense. Luckily, I get access through my university, who are in turn funded by me and other students through our fees and by the government. An establishment like UCL will pay something like 10 to £12 million a year for subscription to scientific journals, most of which belong to just five publishing companies. So what is the profit margin like for these companies? Probir answers. What they did was convert it to, it to a high-profit entity in which uh, there's today roughly 37% profit after tax. Now, that's a very, very high profit margin for any business sector in the world today. In fact, it is twice the business, the profits that Google makes. So you can see the margins are very high. It's a $10 billion industry. It's not a small industry at all today. The reason that the profit margin is so high for these publishers is because, well, publishing academic articles is quite cheap. Here you don't have to pay the author. The question arises, what is the role of the publishers in this business? And that's a very interesting question because we as a scientific technical community, research community, we write the papers. It is refereed by, again, people who do it free. Nobody's charging anything. And finally, even the editors who select, see that it is properly done and it goes to printing, even that is done free by, again, the scientific research community. Lastly, today, it's not even 90% of this is digital edition. And the conversion into digital edition, even into camera-ready script, is done in countries like India. Companies you don't know about who do it for a large number of publishers and at a cost which is very, very low. So that is why you have this huge profit, huge profit margin. So this is the mechanics of this industry. It actually free rides on the labor of the scientific community. And who pays for accessing these journals? Again, the scientific community. So I produce my papers. I produce the research. I produce the papers, which is then printed. And to access it, I have to pay for it again. Now, there are a few other options. You may have heard of open access journals and articles which are available for free. But the cost here is not borne by the publisher. It is borne by the researcher and it is expensive. One is there are open source journals available in science, for example. Now, in which case you don't pay for content, you can access it freely. The problem that is there, of course, that somebody is still paying. It's the universities which actually have to pay or the author of the article has to pay for the publication. And that for leading journals, that cost can be quite high. So you can even pay up to 
particularly for those open access journals which have high citation value you have to pay a lot in fact one of the reasons why uh, research scholars do pay that kind of money or publish in certain select journals because citation value means it helps their careers now if you take that the open source journals also have the problem that instead of access being the issue it is the publication which is the issue so whole scientific communities in countries which are poor then cannot really publish in these journals. Again, the discrimination then becomes against the scientists in the poorer countries. Like India, for example, how many universities will pay one lakh for publishing one article in one journal? So those are the kind of issues that is coming up in open source journals as well. In the current model of academic publishing, it is developing countries like India which are the bigger losers. Most of these journals are too expensive for our universities to subscribe to and too expensive to be published in for open access. Now that we understand how academic publishing works, let's look at the case in India. As you know, the Saibhab case really started by three publishers. They are the major publishers in the world today in some science journals filing a case in Delhi High Court. So the three publishers are Wiley International, American Chemical Society, which is also Elsevier. So they have really large families of publications. So they moved Delhi High Court against uh, Saibhab and Libgen, saying that their material is being pirated and these sites therefore should be uh, stopped from being visible in India and therefore they should not be accessible by anybody from India. They also wanted all the aliases in the future, whatever fu future sites that may come up, that should be stopped even without going through a court process. That, so there are two really asks. One is stop these entities and whatever future URLs are used, they should be stopped without any further application to the High Court. So this is the two basic pleadings they made and that's the origin of this case. The court is hearing scientists, researchers and students in the case after applications from the research community. Probeer is a member of Delhi Science Forum and Society for Knowledge Commons. Both organizers are interveners in this case. A lot of us including the Delhi Science Forum, of which I'm a part, Knowledge Commons also, which I'm a part, People Science Network, plus other bodies uh, went to court with some major scientific figures also going to court, saying that this will be a huge blow to Indian science if this is accepted. This is not the first case of its kind in India. In 2012, Oxford University Press, Cambridge University Press and Taylor and Francis filed a suit against Delhi University and its photocopying agent Rameshwari Photocopy Service. Nilesh explains. In 2012, uh, Oxford and uh, Penguin and all three or four publishers filed a case against uh, Rameshwari Photocopy and some other photocopiers stating that uh, there are 
photocopying all the books which are being published by this publisher and uh, providing it to the student on very without paying royalty to this publisher basically so they said this is a copyright infringement they filed a suit in 2012 and in, in 2017 uh, judgment the court said delhi high court single bench judgment said that uh, photocopying is not a copyright infringement if you are using it for uh, research purposes or for a uh, study it's basically uh, he's uh, studying it in a, some sort of university or a college delhi university professors would compile extracts from different books required for their course Rameshwari photocopy service would photocopy these course packs and sell them to students at 50 paise per page thus significantly reducing the expense of buying all the books needed separately the courts ruled in favor of the photocopying service citing the fair use exception to copyright for education and research purposes nilesh hopes that the court takes a similar view in this case there has been a similar case in the US too, but with a starkly different outcome. Aaron Schwartz was an American computer programmer, entrepreneur, writer, political organizer, and internet hacktivist. Dr. Rohan of Medlife Crisis tells his story. Aaron Schwartz was another brilliant young hacker who was a co-founder of Reddit, involved in the creation of RSS, Markdown, and Creative Commons. We internet users owe him a huge debt. He also downloaded thousands of academic papers illegally from MIT's restricted archive. These were not classified documents. They were not state secrets like WikiLeaks. They were thousands of pages of knowledge which should have been in the public domain. He was caught. He was aggressively prosecuted by the federal government and charged with wire fraud, facing 35 years in prison and a million in fines. He hanged himself at the age of just 26. In Elsevier's case against Alexandra in the US, the New York Federal Court ordered Alexandra to close Sci-Hub and pay $15 million to the publisher. She cannot be extradited to the US as it is a civil case, but she fears it is a possibility and has been in hiding. Alexandra often doesn't find out about cases against her in various countries until it's too late. She has never had a lawyer defend her in any court except in India, Nilesh explains. So in the US, uh, two cases were filed, actually in one in 15 and one in 20, uh, 2016. So in 2016, uh, uh, Alexandra Elvican wanted to do something about it, but she couldn't find any lawyer at that time who was supposed to represent her in the court in the US. And in other, in other jurisdictions, she never got to hear about the cases and the court um, unilaterally passed order without uh, hearing Sahib's side, basically. So she got to know about the blocking order after it was passed by the court, especially this UK order. So re re very recently, I think in February, on February 5th, uh, UK's uh, High Court of Justice passed an order blocking Sci-Hub and the Sci-Hub was not a party in this matter. All uh, internet service providers were party and I think it was filed by Alzevia, uh, this Nature magazine and some other publishers basically. So in Germany it was blocked, in Russia it was blocked, in one of the country in uh, South America it was blocked. So I think uh, in many of the countries the Sci-Hub is uh, legally blocked.
but in India, I think we are on a standby mode. Alexandra told me that her goal is to find a way to make SciHub legal across the world instead of focusing on individual countries. But meanwhile, the future of Indian academics hangs in the balance. To understand how a SciHub ban would affect Indians, we can look at how we use it at the moment. SciHub and Libgen played an important role in Nilesh getting his law degree and it continues to help him in his practice. I think it's more like personal because I use SciHub whenever it's required. It's whenever I need to find some document and research material for any other purposes because I do write, I do study. Sometimes I need material and I cannot pay. So it's personal for me as well as as a, a sahib as a moment is important. And I, I realized at that time when I was doing my master's uh, from Delhi University, that Delhi University didn't have that much resources on infrastructure or let's say library per se for a master's or a PhD students. So most people suffer because there's no proper infrastructure for academic students. I was searching through a lot of things and then I got to know about SciHub and Library Genesis and I was using it. I didn't have that much money because I was working and I was doing my master's. I was a professional course, so I was working in the daytime and studying in the night. So it's basically, it was very difficult for me to pay $50, $25, $100 for one article. And we had around five subjects in each term. It takes around a lakh rupees or so for just for a, for a year's study. If you are doing master's or PhD or some sort of that sort of course, at least, at least that's my understanding that it's that expensive. And if you don't have any institutional access, then you cannot afford it. It's, it's, it's straight. That's the situation right now in India. So I think if SciHub gets blocked in India, I think 80% of research in India will suffer. It's not just scientists or academicians who suffer from a lack of access to these journals and turn to SciHub. It is also lawyers like Nilesh and journalists like Menaka. Menika Rao is a contributing editor here at Suno India. She says that journalists are usually asking others for access to these journals and she would too until she found SciHub and Libgen. It's just that too painful that you have to call someone and tell them, oh, you have access, can you mail me a paper? You know, it's, it's, it's just easy to sort of just download it. Because nobody, I mean, nobody has that kind of salaries to, you know, access these kinds of papers at all times. I was working on this story related to like Priya Ramani case and Me Too etc. So we were looking, I was trying very hard to think of you know how we can talk about defamation and sexual harassment and the only access I got was you know apart from news articles which were saying the same thing was actually like uh academic stuff like you know maybe some guy who wrote there, there was this one guy who wrote like a historical work on defamation basically so you know i mean that i mean you know like trying to pull parallels from there i think that is very important for me that you know i'm not saying the same thing that what others are saying and at least trying to uh uh trying to expand on it i think that's very important so that i, I think I think, you know, even for journalists, that is very important that, you know, to be able to read what others have said 
and not just other journalists right so i think it will be bad for us too whoever is using it it will definitely be bad for us if it goes off in a growing culture of fake news access to academic articles for journalists makes a world of difference as menika says it allows her to move beyond just what other reporters are saying and gain a deeper understanding of the subjects she is reporting or editing sites like cyherb and libgen may also help politicians making decisions about the climate crisis or a parent whose child has a rare disease or even a queer person who wants to know about the history of queerness in their country while fighting on behalf of these websites in india nilesh is also working on developing advocacy groups in europe to support cyherb so we were thinking about it that we will set up some sort of advocacy group for european countries mainly because some of the european countries have a lot of influence around the world and these publisher mainly are from europe so we wanted some think tanks some ngos big uh, institute to talk about it uh, write these uh, this white papers make a noise basically I asked Probir what his ideal for the future of academic publishing is. So what we need is really a public funding of knowledge in terms of journals through unified platforms and Akabayan Saihab has shown us that it is possible to put all of it under access which is similar makes it easy for everybody and like for instance you have a body like UNESCO which is a un body which should have a body which allows all of this to take place go globally and in a way that it is non competitive and the science output of science which is really knowledge is not privatized in this way of course when i say science i also mean social science i also mean other knowledge activities because i do believe that knowledge should be accessible to anybody who wants to get that knowledge it should not become you know siloed and ghettoized into into only small communities and if one woman sitting somewhere can do it for the whole world imagine what we can do as a society and if all of us put our heads together so i think it's a telling commentary on the current state of the world that it required one two three people to sit and bring us sihab and this is what makes scientific research in the world including rich countries so much easier i think that is something we should really reflect on please rate our podcast and leave a comment if you like it underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people so please support us by visiting a contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram.